the scripture talks about the ground drinking up the blood of Abel. So don't think he simply choked him to death. I believe he hit him with something that drew blood, um, rock or, or something, and uh, he killed he killed his brother. It's shocking. You know, it's shocking to us to, to read this. Uh, no doubt you already knew about this story from long ago, but still it has some shock effect when we read what happened between Cain and, and Abel. It appears to me to be totally premeditated. It, it is not simply an act of rage. It is an act of premeditated rage because Cain says to Abel, let's go out in the field. Well, he, he knows what he's going to do. So he's planned this in his heart and in his mind. And he does the dastardly deed. And then God comes and asks him the question, where is your brother Abel? And, of course, we get the flippant response from Cain. Now, um, in the Hebrews chapter 11, you remember the Faith Hall of Fame, we, we found this about Abel and Cain, 11, Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. It's the faith, the faith aspect of it. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So Abel's faith speaks even these many, many, many years later. Did Cain hate Abel? I don't think there's any question, but that he did. But Cain's real hatred is directed to God. And Cain can't do anything to God, but he can do something to Abel. And that's what he did. Murder is an act of hatred toward God for making or accepting another who offends us or troubles us or is favored over us or gets in our way or whatever the case may be. This, the sin of murder, yes, it's against an individual, but it is ultimately against God. And really we know all sin is sin against God, but murder is especially egregious to us, the taking of the life of another person. Um, for instance, think about uh, David. Remember King David, a man after God's own heart, just amazing individual. But you remember he was responsible for the death of Uriah the Hittite. And he just barely knew Uriah. Why why would he have Uriah killed? Well, because David wanted Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and as long as Uriah's alive, it's going to be embarrassing. Well, I mean, the deed's already done. He's already slept with her, and uh, and, and she's pregnant, so it's already a very difficult situation for David. But ultimately, his... Distress and anger is at God. Not Uriah. He barely knew Uriah. And, and he already knew Uriah was an honorable man. Uriah demonstrated that very clearly. But David is angry because God 
forbids his desire for Bathsheba. And David can't do anything to God, and he can't change God's laws, but he can do something to Uriah, and he does. Somehow, 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 deluding himself into thinking he will get away with it. Now, isn't that amazing that he thought somehow, and for a while... It appeared that most people weren't going to know, but then came Nathan the prophet, and the rest is history. Um, All sin is ultimately sin against God. And sometimes we think that sin will not find us out, but it will, some shape, form, or fashion, maybe simply through inner the inner burden that it places on our hearts, or maybe it becomes public as embarrassing, but whatever the case may be. um, My mother's, I've told you this before, my mother, I thought it was my mother's favorite verse because she said it more than any other, but your sin will find you out. And she told me, she reminded me of that regularly. It's in the Bible, and it's a real verse, your sin will find you out. Uh, and it, it always did. It, it always did. Well, after, after the murder, there is the confrontation as God confronts Cain. And Cain compounds his sin by lying. He lies to God. I don't know. I don't know where he is. Of course he does. He buried him. He knows exactly where he is. I don't know. And then he flippantly adds, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, there is um, there's a darkness in the heart of Cain, a deep darkness in the heart of Cain. And it emerges not only in what he did, but it emerges in what he says and what he thinks. Abel's blood, God says, literally cries out for justice. And so God pronounces judgment. Uh, the first curse of a man, he's cursed the ground and he's cursed the serpent, but here's the first curse of a man, and that puts Cain and the serpent or the devil in the same class or category. Um, family relationship has been destroyed, and it will never, it will never be the same ever again because... Cain is cast out, and so the family relationship's been destroyed, and Cain will be a lifelong pariah in the land, and the ground itself will be hard to Cain. Now, you find, I find that amazing. God is saying to Cain, you try all you want to, but the ground will never produce for you again. That's a pretty uh, hefty penalty, is it not? So, if you're going to eat Cain, you're going to have to um, you're going to have to figure out how to get how to get food through somebody else because um, the ground's not going to respond to your efforts. And yet, we see the grace of God. Now. I'm amazed at God's grace demonstrated toward Cain 
Cain shows no, I mean, no remorse at all. Cain's words of concern are not over his sin. His words of concern are, people are going to kill me. Never once did he say, I'm so sorry I did this. God, please forgive me. His heart is hardened. He just worried somebody's going to kill him. And in, in spite of that attitude, God shows him grace and saying, no, I won't let that happen. I'm going to put a mark on you so that you will be protected. I don't know what the mark was. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter, really. It's just whatever it is. People knew it. They saw Cain. They knew it. Don't, don't harm Cain. So his lament is a cry of fear and self-pity, but not a cry of repentance. There's a difference. You remember it when you were a child. You, you remember it. You knew it. There's a difference between being sorry for what you've done and being sorry you got caught. Big difference. And then your children came along and you saw what goes around comes around and you saw your own children do the same thing. So it shall continue. God hears the cry of, of Cain and shows grace, gives him a mark of protection. But Cain was cursed and separated from God, yet guarded by God. So in that sense, God did not abandon Cain. God didn't leave him. It shows amazing grace. But I ask this question. Did Cain ever repent? And I am firmly convinced that the answer to that question is no, he did not. Uh, because in Jude chapter 11, it speaks of the worldly sinful way of Cain. In uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, uh, John says, Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one. Now, there, there's a difference between sinning and belonging to the evil one. So Cain belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Um, and, and so we see the hard heart of, of Cain. So that, that kind of um, finishes up for the moment the story of Cain and Abel, but we, we're going to see some more about Cain. But quite a bit more. So let's look at uh, b beginning at verse uh, 17 of chapter 4 all the way through the end of chapter 5 is what I call population explosion. Now I'm not going to read all that straight through at the moment. Let's just talk about it for a minute. Cain, by every standard, had a fierce anger at the rejection of his offering. It betrayed a smoldering defiance of God. His murder of Abel was really an attempt to injure God. He killed his righteous brother without the slightest bit of remorse. And the only emotion shown by Cain was self-pity. He went out from God's presence to live in Nod. The word Nod means wandering. East of Eden. Wherever that is. East of Eden. 
Though he bore the gracious mark of God's protection upon himself, he left Eden full of disdain for God. His heart's bitter. So, look at verse 12, where God says, You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, just keep that in mind for a moment. It seems, as we shall see in a minute, that Cain begins to prosper. But there continues in his life a continuing disobedience to God. He builds a city. He stops to put his roots down in one place after God said, you will be a restless wanderer. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, but I I don't think you can miss it. Uh, In defiance of what God had said, Cain builds a city and puts roots down in one place. And he took the lead, as we're going to see when we read in a minute, he took the lead in producing cities, music, weapons, and agricultural implements. Through his posterity, as we will see, civilization begins to, to flourish, it seems. In fact, this passage is a, a paradox. I think that's the right paradoxical passage in that civilization rises even as it falls. And we see its demise even as we see its rise. So we'll notice that carefully in, in, in the words. And remember, just over the horizon, at the end of chapter 5, will be Noah and the ark. So, let's read verse 17 of chapter 4. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch, not to be confused with the Enoch of chapter 5, but I digress. We'll get back to that in a minute. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad was the father of Mehujael. Arad and Arad was the father of Mehujael, and Mehujael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Some names for your grandchildren right there. Let's go. <laughs> Just drop that on your son or daughter and see if they pick up on any of that. Lamech married two women. Catch that? Lamech married two women. One named Adah and the other Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Ooh, this is cool. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Naamah. Now, let's, let's stop there a minute. We get a compressed history of Cain. I mean, it's really compressed into a few verses. We get a compressed history of Cain. Cain and his wife had a son named Enoch. And Cain built a city and named it Enoch. 
Cain had wandered for a little while, just as God said he was to do, but then he settles down. His wife, you've already thought about this, haven't you? His wife would of necessity be a daughter or perhaps a granddaughter of Adam. Now, uh, verse 4, chapter 5, just to leap forward for a second. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Okay, we'll get back to that later. Just So there you go. Cain's building of a city may seem somehow magnificent, yet it is a willful, defiant violation of God's revealed will for Cain. What else is new with Cain? Cain has not changed at all. The city may have been a hamlet because the Hebrew word for city can be a big city or it can be a, a little uh, a little place in the road with a Dairy Queen and one red light. Uh, don't know which it was. Uh, he gave it a name and he named it Enoch after his son. The city is his statement. This is, this is Cain's statement. And here's what Cain's statement was. It won't surprise you. I will do as I please. That's what he'd always done. He keeps on, I will do as I please. The word Enoch means, in Hebrew, means dedicated. So the city was an effort to perpetuate the name, the family name, and the the name of his son, Enoch. Nothing else is said of Cainite, not to be confused with Canaanite. Nothing else is said of Cainite culture except to list the names of the generations up to and including the infamous Lamech. And I'll tell you why he's infamous in a minute. I think we'll get there. The apparent growth of civilization, we look at that and say, ooh, this is cool. we got tools, we got music, we got cities, this is looking good. The apparent growth of civilization is marked by degeneration and the institution of polygamy. Here we go. What's God's will? Chapter 2, verse 24. A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. It's God's will. From the very beginning. Polygamy was not God's will from the very beginning. But here it is, introduced, and we'll see it all throughout the Old Testament. Polygamy came to dominate Canaanite and Sethite, we'll get to Seth in a minute, Sethite culture, as the book of Genesis will reflect. So, as civilization advanced, rebellion against God's Word advanced. And if that sounds like 2018, it should, because that's exactly what's happening today. Civilization is advancing, and rebellion against God's Word is also Advancing, We see it all around us. You can't miss it. So we see the irony of it all laced through these verses. Verse 20, animal husbandry. A noble calling. Some of God's greatest um, people will tend livestock like Abraham, Moses, David, others. Music, in verse 21, we think of the Psalms. Craftsmen, in verse 22, 
And we read in Exodus 36 about Bezalel and Oliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. So, we'll, you know, blessing. What a wonderful thing. And we would agree. Wonderful. Music. We love music. Weren't you blessed Sunday? Music. We love it. Craftsmanship. We love it. Animal husbandry. We love the product of that, like the chicken we had today. We love it. Tools. Tubal cane and tools. But right in the middle of that, we get a song written by Lamech. What, what does it say? Look at verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, I don't know whether that means, well, well, yeah, he's got two of them, hasn't he? Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. That's his way of saying, I'm a bloodthirsty dude, and don't get in my way. That's Lamech. That's his heart. So in the midst of all of the advances of society, we see the degradation of society. And think of all the advances that we enjoy today and at the same time look around at the sin in our society. So when um, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, it's really true. It's really true. So the song of Canaanite civilization is verses 23 and 24. The terror of violence, and Lamech is proud of his violence, and he puts it to song. Now we get to verse 25 and 26, and we see the beginning of the Sethite civilization. This is encouraging. Look at verse 25. Adam made love to his wife again, that's Eve, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. What? We don't want to miss that sentence. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So contrast the Sethite civilization to the Cainite civilization. There is a contrast. Seth replaces Abel in the family, and that's a delight for Eve and Adam. Now, you know, if you've lost a child, there's no way you would ever want to say another child replaces the child that passed away. But in Eve's heart and mind, Cain is gone, Abel is dead, well, here comes Seth. And that sure does make Eve and Adam rejoice. The word Seth means granted, so God has granted us another child. And Eve gives glory to God. She says it's his doing. God granted us another child. And she remembers the words of God in the garden. Do you remember? Chapter 3, verse 15, your child will crush the serpent's head. Now Eve is able to say, okay, 
got another child. God's Word is going to come true. We've got a child. So through the line of Seth all the way to Christ, the Word of God will be fulfilled. It won't be Cain, and it won't be Abel, but it will be the seed of Seth. And Enosh is born to Seth, and the promise is being fulfilled even before our eyes. Now, let me close with this verse, and then next time we'll go to chapter 5. By the way, if you read ahead, go ahead and read chapter 5. Don't, don't be put off. This is a begets, and somebody lived 800 years, 900 years. This is fascinating, so, so read it. There's, there's purpose there. It's not throwaway. It's, there's purpose. Now, in 26, the second part of the verse, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Worship. The, the, the worship of people to God begins to unfold. Cain's firstborn and successors, pioneer cities, the arts, and violence. Seth's firstborn and successors, pioneer worship. It's pretty cool. The word call upon or call on the name of the Lord literally means proclaim. Proclaim. So worship is calling upon or proclaiming the Lord. And Canaanite civilization rose and had abundance plus art and technology of the day, none of which fostered godliness at all. But Sethite civilization proclaimed the name of the Lord. And that is to be our distinctive today, that we proclaim the name of the Lord. And that's the only hope of the world is to call upon the name of the Lord. And I'll remind you of Acts chapter 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. Okay. Next week, we'll start with chapter 5, and we'll talk about some of the names there and all these long lives that they lived, and and we'll get through chapter 5 as we're introduced to Noah. So what's coming next? Noah and the ark. I love that story. Amazing. I just love it. So that's where we're headed. All right? See you next time. Father, thank you. Bless us now, we pray, in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. See you next time.